Is it better to be married or to be single? Uh, Our society would seem to be a little unsure on how to answer that. Uh, Is it better to be married or single? See, on the one hand, being single is often depicted as being in the land of the free, to be able to do what you want. You see that on our TV shows. Uh, The Big Bang Theory, Two and a Half Men, the two most popular comedies in the world, and they are shows in which virtually no one is married, or at least no one is happily married. Instead, it's all about the freedom and the adventure that can come from being not tied down to one particular person. And yet even within TV shows like those, there are also the occasional clues to the loneliness of being single, that even when you've got a close group of friends, there's still the desire for that intimate relationship with someone special. Throw in a couple of romantic comedies, a few Jane Austen novels, and suddenly marriage is now the thing to strive for. What does God make of all of this? Is it better to be married or to be single? How will God answer that? Well, 1 Corinthians 7 provides us with some clues, I think, and in so doing, uh, this chapter will actually give words of encouragement to any of us, no matter what life situation or lifestyle we are in, whether you're married or single, whether you are young or retired, whether you are happy or sad, whether you are in good health or bad health, uh, this chapter actually has some good things to say to us. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's firstly go back to the whole issue of marriage and singleness because this does seem to be a topic that the Corinthian church are a little concerned, if not confused over. Look with me at verse 1 of the chapter. Now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to marry. may not seem it at first glance, but that verse is quite a turning point in the letter. Up until now in the letter, Paul has been setting his own agenda, He's been talking about the things that he wants to talk about because he thinks that's the main problems of the church. And he's talked about things like sexual immorality and divisions within the church, hasn't he? Now he's changing tack because he wants to address specific issues that the Corinthians themselves have asked him about. Do you notice that? Now for the matters you write about. We therefore need to tread a little carefully in a chapter like this because we don't exactly know what they have written to him about. We don't know the specific questions that they have asked him. And so this chapter is a bit like listening to one end of a telephone conversation. Sometimes when that happens, you don't get quite the full picture of what's being talked about. We need to be a little cautious this morning. But be that as it may, let me suggest up front that this chapter falls into three main sections and that each of the three sections has a reasonably obvious main point to it. Now, I realise that's a massive over-generalisation. You heard it read. It's long, it's complex, it's got lots of different scenarios raised in it, but I still reckon not a bad way into the chapter is to think of it as three main sections and a main lesson in each of those three sections. First section, the first lesson is marriage is a good thing. Verse 1 again, now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to marry. doesn't quite sound like it's kicking off a section saying that marriage is good, does it? 
Sounds like it's saying the complete opposite. Well, here it's worth noting that uh, a better translation of the verse, because that's the one we've got in most of our Bibles. Now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to marry. I want you to notice that a much better translation of that verse is that it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It's a better translation because it more accurately reflects the original text and it certainly makes a heap more sense of what Paul is now going to go on and talk about. That's the translation that the new version of the NIV, which only came out a few months ago, that's the, that's the translation that the new version has gone for. And if you've got an ESV Bible, you'll see that that's what it goes for as well. Please notice two things about it. Firstly, the phrase is not simply, it's good for a man not to marry. It's, it's good for him not to have sexual relations with a woman. Quite literally, not even touch a woman. Secondly, notice that the phrase is in inverted commas. Because like some of the phrases that we noticed last week, this is not something Paul is saying. It's much more likely to be something that the Corinthians themselves were saying. See, last week, uh, you might remember, Paul was urging the Corinthians to flee from sexual immorality, to pursue sexual uh, purity at all costs. Well, it sounds like that some of them within the church were therefore saying that in order to completely flee immorality, we should abstain from sexual relations at all. That in order to be really holy, in able to be really focused totally on God, we should be celibate. It's a bit like how the Catholic Church nowadays, uh, this is what they require of their priests and their nuns. Paul responds by saying, hey guys... Don't forget in all of this that marriage actually does provide a relationship in which sex is okay. Look at verse 2. Since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Now I want you to notice that the logic flow here. In response to them saying that it's good to not ever have anything to do with sex whatsoever... Paul is saying, hey, hey, don't get too carried away here. Sure, flee from sexual immorality like we heard last week, but just remember, part of marriage is being able to enjoy sexual relationships with each other. Verse 4, the woman's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body doesn't belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Don't deprive each other, except by mutual perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together so that Satan won't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Again, are you catching the logic here? Sure, there's lots of sexual immorality around and we need to flee from that. Don't let that immorality taint your perspective so badly that now you start to think that sex is somehow wrong or somehow dirty or somehow not to be enjoyed. In marriage, it's a good thing. It's not a weapon where you force yourself on your partner. It's not something you withhold as a punishment. It's not something that you give as a sort of reward to get your own way. It's good. So don't shy away from it or abstain from it because you think it's somehow naughty. Enjoy each other. Your body belongs to your partner. So use it to give them pleasure. And in that respect, marriage is a good thing. Verse 8. 
Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they can't control themselves, they should marry. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now it's a little easy to perhaps, I don't know, react a bit against verse 9 there. Sounds like Paul is saying get married simply so that you can have sex, which is a pretty tacky way of thinking. Where's the romance in that? Where's the love for the other person? We've got to keep remembering though, Paul's words and advice here, they are very much being governed by what the Corinthians have asked him about. And so he's not saying that sex is the only reason you get married. He's only picking on that particular issue because that's the issue that they've asked him about. They've asked him about whether or not they're better off never having any sexual relations at all and he's saying, no, 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 no. marriage is good because it allows us to enjoy sexual passion in a God-honouring way. Which is why he goes on to talk about the permanency of marriage in verses 10 right through to 16. God intends us to be enjoying sex in marriage and then our marriage, so that our marriages need to be permanent because we're meant to enjoy our partner in the context of security and confidence. And it's all flowing out of the Corinthians asking Paul for help and advice. They are a church surrounded by sexual immorality, as we are. And it's confusing them, as it might us. And so in response to things that they have written to him, Paul is saying, sure, flee sexual immorality. But in so doing, don't let the pendulum now swing so far the other way that you start to think that sex in itself is somehow dirty or wrong or something that you should feel guilty about. Don't forget that one of the good things about marriage is that it does allow you to enjoy sex in a God-honouring way. However, at this point, it's very easy to now perhaps get the wrong impression that being single then is a bad thing. Paul has already indicated that's not the case. Already, twice, in verses 7 and 8, he said that he wished people were like him, that is, single. However, just in case the point has been lost in all this discussion, in the final section of the chapter, he goes out of his way to reaffirm that being single is also good. Look, for example, jump across to verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, uh, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Uh, Because of the present crisis, I think it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Don't seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Don't look for a wife. Now, these verses are intriguing. This present crisis there in verse 26, not quite sure what that is, could refer to all the sexual immorality that's around the place. Uh, It could refer to a sort of persecution that's happening, although there's no mention of that in the letter elsewhere. Uh, Given what he says in verse 31 about the world passing away in its present form, it's possibly, probably a reference to simply living in the last days leading up to Jesus' return, as we are also. Whatever the precise case, what's clear is that Paul reckons, given even what he said about being married, being single is good. In fact, he goes on to say there are actually some advantages to it. Look, for example, down at verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his, his, his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affair. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please a husband. 
I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. See, being single, single has its advantages. You have more time to be involved in ministry. You haven't got the responsibilities of looking after a family or making sure that your spouse's needs are being met. Being single can help free you up for doing things for God. It's a good thing. Indeed, even more than that, did you notice how twice in that last section, Paul even takes the trouble to point out that getting married is not a sin. Uh, Verses 28 and again in verse 36, he twice points out that if you do get married, well, that's okay, you haven't sinned. Funny that he would even feel the need to say that, isn't it? Suggests to me again that the sort of background noise that's happening here in the church at Corinth is that at least some people are suggesting that getting married might be a sin. I don't know, if there are people saying that you should never, ever, ever have sexual relations, even when you're married, maybe there are people saying you should never, ever get married because once you are married, you'll really be tempted to have sexual relations. I don't know. If nothing else, the Church of Corinth seems to be really confused about the whole issue. Paul, in this chapter, is wanting to bring a bit of balance back to things. Being single is good. It'll free you up for doing things for good, for God. But don't now start thinking that being married is bad either. But it's not a sin. Married, single, both are good in the sense that they will give you opportunities for God-honouring behaviour. They are both good in the sense that they will give you opportunity for God-honouring behaviour. Amongst other things, marriage gives you opportunity for God-honouring expression of sexual relations. Amongst other things, singleness gives opportunity for undivided devotion to the Lord. Both are good. Mind you, please don't hear this chapter saying more than it really is. Okay, In saying that both being married and being single single give opportunity for God-honouring behaviour, he is in no way suggesting that both those life circumstances might also have some real struggles to them as well. He's not suggesting that. Being single can be desperately hard with times of excruciating loneliness. And being married can be desperately hard with times of mind-numbing grief. And so if you are here and you are single and you wish you weren't, this passage is not saying to pretend that that pain is not there and to simply put on a plastic smile and say, you know, gosh, it's good being single because I get to serve Jesus more. And if you're married, and you honestly wish you weren't, because it's just so hard, this chapter is not saying to pretend that the pain isn't there and to simply put on a plastic smile and say, gosh, it's good to be married because now I get to have a God-honouring expression of sexual relations. This chapter is not about denying sadness or challenge or pain that can come from life circumstances. But what God is saying is that whatever the circumstance you are in, there is opportunity for godliness. And that is the most important thing. Which leads us to the central and I think most critical section of the chapter. Verse 17. Nevertheless... Each one should retain the place in life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. 
Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He shouldn't become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He shouldn't be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Now, when you first read that, you think, oh, that's pretty strange. Why in a chapter that starts with marriage, finishes with marriage and singleness, why is Paul suddenly talking about circumcision and down in verse 20, slavery? Why is this popping up in the middle? of Has he lost his train of thought here? It fits together because the big point that Paul is wanting to make here and the one that pervades through the entire chapter is wherever you are in life, God has put you there, so just get on with obeying God in it. Look, for example, at verse 20. Each one should retain, remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Well, don't let it trouble you. Although if you gain your freedom, do so. See the fear? Whatever your situation is, whether you're free or not, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, in other words, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're married or not, whether you're employed or not, whether you're wealthy or not, whether you're educated or not, don't let it get to you. If there's opportunity for change, that's great, but don't let our life circumstances become a fixation to us. Wherever you are, verse 19, doing God's commandments is what counts. Whatever situation you're in, it's a matter of putting your head down and seeking to be godly. That's the best thing. And I reckon that's pretty good to hear. Because nowadays especially, people around us everywhere, they, they, we seem to want to blame others for our problems. No, it's my parents' fault that I'm the way I am. It's the school's fault my children aren't doing as well as they could be. It's the government's fault that I never seem to have enough money. And even if there's a grain of truth in some of those statements, it's almost reached the stage where we don't take responsibility for ourselves anymore. And it's very easy to, to carry that sort of thinking into our Christian lives and to start blaming our circumstances for our failings. And we say things like, you know, if, I, if only I didn't have all the family pressure, then I'd be able to be spending more time in prayer. If only work wasn't so hectic, then I'd be able to get to a growth group. If only I was married, then I'd really be able to do great things for the Lord. If only I was happily married, then I'd be able to focus more on God. Friends, if you're slacking your prayer life now, if you have no priority to be working on your godliness now, if you aren't spending time in the Bible and with God now, if you are lukewarm in your faith now, you'll be like it in any circumstance. The problem is not your life circumstance. The problem is in us. And so Paul's saying, don't wish your life away hoping for another situation that may or may not happen. Just get in there and obey God. Just get in there now and work at your godliness. Just get in there now and start building up your faith and hope and love. And so to a church that seems to be really confused about marriage and singleness and which is better, Paul's saying, neither is. In fact, even posing the question of which is better, that's misleading because it implies that one is going to be better and when they're not. They are both good in the sense that they both have opportunities for godliness. 
and godliness is what's best. So the lesson for you and I, I think, out of a complex chapter like this is quite simply to go home and start putting effort into honouring Jesus in the way we live. Don't bother putting it off till the kids are a bit older. Don't bother putting it off till that big project at work is over. Don't bother putting it off till your health improves. Don't bother putting it off till you get your head above water a bit more financially. Don't put it off until you get married. Don't put it off until your marriage improves. There will always be some reason for putting it off. Let's just get in and start living out our faith. Because godliness is best. And whatever difficulty or challenges you're facing at the moment, no matter what life stage or circumstance you are in at this very moment, whatever it is, being godly will bring honour to Jesus in it. And that will make it good. I'll pray. Father, help us to see our life situations and our stages and our circumstances, uh, to see where we're at. Help us to see it from your perspective as opportunity to honour you in the way that we live. Uh, Father, you know the things that we're struggling with in our life at the moment. You know the things that we even sometimes blame as reasons for not being godly. Uh, Father, as your people, help us to uh, be who we are and to rise above that. Help us to, uh, help us to be so uh, passionate and focused on wanting to honour Jesus that no matter what life situation, uh, we would seek to be godly and to do what you want. Not because we have to to earn a place in your kingdom, but because we are your people, and that's what we want to do. It is in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen.